Uh, Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 10 for me, if you wouldn't mind. Um, That's where we're going to be starting out and spending most of our time this morning. Um, uh, My name, again, as Stephen says, is Brian Palmer. I'm the pastor of Rio Church and the lovely band that was playing up here. I kind of feel like I'm not worthy of coming up after that. It's hard to follow. I did some good stuff up there. Um, I'm also a North American Mission Board missionary, and uh, my church is supported by the Cooperative Program and the uh, Annie Armstrong Mission Offering. Um, And again, as your pastor said, today is the first day, uh, the beginning of the Annie Armstrong Week of Prayer. And so I'm I'm here um, in part to kind of highlight that and to let you guys know about some of the work that the North American Mission Board is doing here in our state, in our city, um, uh, to spread the gospel and bring it to people who desperately need it here within the city. But I'm also here um, to share God's call on your life to join in this kind of work. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm here to do. And so let me just start by giving you a little bit of an update on, on Rio Church and our little family. We're doing great. Um, God is so good, and not, not only to our church family, but to my personal family. Um, we've got a couple pictures here. We, we uh, inter- uh, brought into this world uh, a little nugget, uh, our little Ellie Bean. That's uh, Ellie Noel Palmer, born December 30th of 2017, and she is the most beautiful, cutest human being. There's a couple more. Here we go. Here's one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. I made that. Yeah. So we, uh, there's, there we go. I'm quite proud of it. Um, yeah. So we, we uh, ended 2017 with a bang, and I'm really excited about that. And so um, that's, I just had to do that. I'm that guy. You're going to see a picture of my baby, whether you want to or not. All right. Um, as a church, though, I can also say with confidence that we have been adding to that family as well. God has been really, really good. For those of you um, that don't know my church, we meet in the Old Town area. Um, and we are, as far as we are aware, we are the only Southern Baptist church in the 87104 zip code. And most likely the only evangelical church in the entire zip code. Um, it, we haven't seen any others, and so we, we we're kind of assuming on that. I can't find data on all that stuff, but... Uh, um, there, there are over 10,000 or closer to 12,000 people in the 87104 zip code where we meet alone. Um, that means that there are 3,000 plus people per square mile. Um, that's a lot of people packed in there. And, and there are, get this, 30,000 people within a two-mile radius of our church, and there is not really a local congregation there. Except for us, right? We're there. And so it's been an incredible opportunity for us as a church to, to go and to do what we do. And God has been so good to us in giving us a voice in that area, giving us a foothold with the community to share Christ with these people. Um, and, and we're making some progress. It's been pretty awesome. In 2017, we baptized uh, five people. We did three major out, uh, outreach events. And, and get this, their school loves us so much, they asked my wife and I to join their PTA I am not a parent of a kid at that school, nor am I a teacher, and yet I'm part of their parent-teacher association. It's pretty awesome. They asked us, they approached us and asked us to do that. And so th- there's just some good stuff happening. I know that's not very statistic-minded, but, but man, we are getting to do stuff. We are getting to rub shoulders with the people of that area. Um, but I, I do have to say, it is kind of slow going. It is. It's um, kind of hard-packed soil there in the hearts of the people of Old Town. And so it's taking time to, to kind of till that soil and get it loose enough for seeds to be planted. And, and, and we're starting to see progress, but that kind of leads me to my next point where you guys are going to come in. See, if we're going to 
give the gospel and we're going to reach every inch of 87104 zip code and every inch of our city and then on to the ends of the earth, if that's going to happen and we're going to give the gospel to the ends of the earth, then, then it's going to be something that we have to be committed to for the long haul. It's not something that happens for a season. It's not just a short burst and we're done. This is something that is going to be a long time going, little by little. In fact, whenever God uh, promises the Israelites that, that he's going to give them the promised land, he said, I'm going to give it to you little by little, victory by victory, right? And I kind of feel like that's how it is for us. And so sharing the gospel with the people of our city is going to take time and it's going to take commitment. But here's something that I've learned about our culture. I've learned that our culture oftentimes has a difficult time with commitment. Just in general, we have a difficult time um, with commitment. It's because we like our freedom, right? Like we like to keep our options open. We like to stay mobile um, just in case something else comes along that we can do in the meantime. Okay, and here's a, here's a prime example. How many of you guys are on Facebook? I, I realize that it might not be everyone, but have you guys noticed that if you get invited to an event on Facebook, there are not your typical RSVP answers, yes and no, right? You have yes, you have no, then there's the maybe option, there's the interested option, which I don't even know what that means. Yeah, sure, maybe I'm interested in potentially giving you an answer sometime. And then this one I think is the worst. There's the ignore option. So people don't even have to know that you got their invite to their event. And I mean, how flaky is that? How non-committal is that? Right? And I, I think that, that that's just a, a really good uh, kind of picture of our culture and our levels of commitment sometimes. You know, sometimes I, I, we'll say yes to something and then we just won't even go, right? And we won't tell anyone, right? It's, it's kind of our commitment. That's kind of our, our culture. But, but there's a problem with that. There is a problem when, when you're hesitant, when we as a culture in general or as a people in general are hesitant to commit to anything, when we commit to things and then we flake out on following through on those things, then we are missing out on being part of something that is bigger than ourselves. See, I, I want to bring this up here this morning um, because we're at church, right? I specifically want to bring it up here at church because the church is supposed to be more than some event we attend, Right? Church is more than a club that we are a part of. It's more than even being a group of people who have something in common. See, church is bigger than any one individual. Church, at its core, is a movement. See, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Peter, or Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And listen, last time I checked, gates don't move. Which means that we, the church, are going to be the ones that are moving against the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand us. It means we're a movement. When we're talking about us, the church, we also have to take note of the fact that the church is supposed to be a united force assaulting the gates of hell together. As Jesus describes us elsewhere, we are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In other words, we are not just one light out doing our own thing individually, but we are many lights moving in unison against the forces of darkness. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so you see, when everybody wants to keep their options open and everybody wants to go their own way and they're more interested in fulfilling their plans and their desires than in uniting together to accomplish a common goal outside of and bigger than ourselves, we are going to struggle against the forces of darkness. 
If no one wants to commit because they want to keep their options open, then when the battle cry goes out for everyone to assault, there's going to be a bunch of us clicking the ignore button, aren't we? And I'm going to be honest with you. That's not okay. It's not okay. We, as the people of God, have to be better about that. Because people's eternities are on the line. You guys know that the church is God's answer to every injustice and pain in the world, right? You know that the church, God's people, we are his very presence on this earth. And and he has chosen us to solve the problems of the world and to spread salvation to the ends of the earth. We are the ones that are meant to carry forth the gospel. And the gospel is, of course, as Romans 1.16 puts it, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right? And so here's what I'm hoping for. Those. I'm just putting my cards on the table. I'm hoping that, that this could be a call to action. I want this to be something that fires us up and helps us to form the line. And we hold our ground as we advance on the forces of darkness in our city. That's what I want this to be. And so my only request as we get into Romans 10 is that you don't click the ignore button on this event invite. Right? All right. So I, I feel like I'm going to, we should pray. I'm going to pray. Let's pray. So, um, and, and then we'll get into it. All right? So, um, Father, we come to you and we just ask that you be here with us as, as again, as we open up your word. I pray that this, this call to action would not be me calling anyone to action, but it would be you calling us to action, Lord. And I pray that we would answer. And say, here I am, Lord, send me. So give us a boldness this morning that doesn't leave whenever we leave this building. Give us a boldness that carries forward as we move into our city and and into our places of work. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so another thing here that that, um, I'm not sure. We'll have to see. How how many people here have watched The Office? Anyone? All right, a couple of you. Okay, let's talk afterwards, all right? All right, I love you guys. For those of you who haven't, I'll pray. Pray for you. Um, anyways, uh, in the office, it's, it's your typical show about, it's exactly that, an office where they sell paper. Um, and, and I don't know, anybody work in an office? Anybody here? Yeah? Okay. So some of you guys will, will probably vibe with us a little bit, but, um, the receptionist's name is Pam. And Pam, uh, she goes into the break room one day to find that the, the microwave is a mess. Complete and utter mess. And, and, and she is, is really upset about this, right? And so she writes an anonymous letter complaining about how no one would clean up the microwave, right? She leaves it a mess and puts a little note there saying, I can't believe no one will clean this up, right? And, and listen to me, I'm a little bit OCD. I like to clean things. And, and so I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm in line with Pam there, you know, if it's a public space and it gets messed up, you clean it, right? Like you clean up your own mess. That's how I feel. I'm with Pam on that. But, but the reason I bring this up is that episode and the anonymous note made me think about the church. Um, it, it made me think about the church, which I get kind of sounds weird, but, but here's, here's this. Ra- rather than just cleaning it up for herself because she saw a problem, she wanted to fix it. Pam wanted someone else to do it. And so she left a note telling everyone that that's how it should go. And I found that, that sometimes that mentality has, has seeped into the American church. That mentality, because sometimes in church we'll see problems, we'll see issues, but rather than do something about it for ourselves, rather than, than, than fix it, we, we get upset and we complain. Or maybe even just go to another church that doesn't have that problem, right? Because there's plenty of them. 
Someone else should clean that up, right? We have this kind of mentality in our church. And I think it's not quite as obvious, but I think that that same kind of mentality seeps into the commands that God gives us to share the gospel sometimes. I think we have that same mentality. Oftentimes we're confronted with the scriptures that say, you as a Christian are supposed to go and share the gospel. And you see that and you think to yourself, ah, the pastor will do that. Or the worship pastor, he's pretty holy, he'll do that. Or that intense guy that actually brings a physical copy of his Bible, he'll do that, right? But, but here's the thing, if you're a Christian, like if you have surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, then you are supposed to go and spread the gospel, right? No, it's not on me, it's not on Stephen, it's not on Danny, it's on all of us to go and spread the gospel. And that's what Paul is going to be getting at in Romans chapter 10. So if you have found your way there, it's, uh, it's time. We're going to read it. Here it goes, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, just a little context for us here. Paul is, is talking to the church in Rome. Um, and he is addressing the fact that many of his very own people, the Jewish people, God's chosen people, have rejected the gospel message and their very own Messiah, Jesus. And he's kind of talking about that, and that's what's going on. And, and so whenever we pick up here in this, Paul is getting a little sassy. Like, he, he really, he's getting a little sassy. Look at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, Paul is absolutely being sarcastic and sassy in this verse. Because when Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament, something all the Jewish people recognized. He's quoting from Joel 2.32. The, the only difference is in Joel 2.32, when it says, um, who, the, the Lord in Joel, it's actually in all caps lock, which means um, that, that he's actually saying Yahweh, right? And so the, the covenant name of God. And so you could read this in, in, in Joel. If you read it literally, it would say, everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, right? That's what it says in Joel. But here in Romans ten thirteen, when Paul says, Lord, he's talking about Jesus, Right, And so that's where the sassy bit comes in. The Jews acknowledge Yahweh as Lord, but they reject Jesus as Lord. So by putting Jesus' name where Yahweh used to be, Paul is claiming that Jesus and Yahweh um, um, are one and the same. Right, and, and, and thus he's taking a jab at the unbelieving Jews that may or may not be reading this letter. And I think that's kind of funny. He's being sassy. And so he is conveying something true here as well, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, and simultaneously calling the Jews out for not recognizing Jesus for who he really is. That's all happening in verse 13. Okay, and so, so why is this important? Well, well, for starters, Paul is reaffirming to us the gospel. Right, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and upon belief in him, if you call upon him or you ask for his help, then you will be saved. It's important for unbelievers to understand this truth because it'll ensure that they understand how they might be saved. But, but it's important for believers to be reminded of this truth too because Paul is building towards something, which is what we're going to look at next. See, so look at verse 14. Actually, we'll read 13 and 14 together. Um, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not heard? 
Okay, um, so this is kind of what Paul is saying. If salvation comes when someone calls out to Jesus to ask for help and forgiveness, Paul then asks, what if they don't even believe in Jesus? Pretty good question, right? Like, like if I don't believe in Jesus and yet I call on his name, does that count? Right? Like, like uh, if I just pray the prayer, do I get to go to heaven even if I don't believe in it? Well, well. You and I, we know that that's not true, right? Like, belief is necessary. There's tons of verses. One of the most famous verses, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life, right? Like, so belief is necessary. And so Paul here is, is being sassy and sarcastic again. This is a rhetorical question. It's common sense that if you do not believe in someone, then you're not going to ask them for help. You're not going to call out to them. For instance, like, like no one ever asked me to get things from the top shelf. No one. Why? Because they don't believe I can reach it. And they're right. right? People do ask me for help to get into small, tiny spaces. Like, that's what I'm good for. But, but they never, they don't call out to me for help to get things from a high place because they don't believe that I can reach it. Right? And, and, and the same idea is true here. It is assumed that you call out to help from someone that you believe can help you. Right? And so until you believe that Jesus can actually forgive you of your sins and grant to you eternal life, you won't call out to him. And that's kind of Paul's point. And then his questions continue and he, he says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Another great rhetorical question. If they've never heard of Jesus, how can they believe him? Paul wants to know. Well, once again, the answer is obvious. They can't. Never heard of him. How are they going to believe in him and then call out to him? You know, when my uh, daughter was born, um, we she had to go to the NICU for about three days. Um, Just there was some risk of infection, and so um, my job uh, while Ari was recovering was to take all of our family members one or two at a time into the NICU um, to to meet her. And and I was the only one that happened to know the way through the hospital, and so um, I I was taking this route. And this route was like long and circuitous, and there's all kinds of twists and turns. I think I I passed several nursing stations, was probably in several different zip codes at one point all right and the funny thing about this is is i didn't know this right but there was literally an elevator that i passed every time near the beginning of my route that if i just got on that elevator it delivered me right to the NICU. i just didn't know it existed until a long time later right and here's the thing if i knew it existed i would have taken it a long time ago but because i didn't know it existed i didn't take it right and that that's kind of it's even more amazing I didn't get lost, just by the way, because I am very directionally challenged. But anyways, um, the, the same idea here is true, right? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Again, the answer is they can't. They haven't heard of him. They won't believe in him, and they won't call out to him. You must have heard of Jesus before you can believe in him. And so Paul then continues. He's laying out his arguments with strings of obvious answered questions. And he says, and how are they to preach or how, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, you can probably assume the answer by this point, right? Like, you, you're kind of picking up what, what Paul's been putting down. See, if no one tells them about Jesus, okay, if no one preaches the good news about him, then no one's going to hear it. And if no one hears about Jesus, then they can't believe in him. And if they don't believe in him, then they won't call out to him and no one will be saved. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road for you and for me. This is the point at which we are going to be challenged, I think. Because what Paul says next will directly affect every last one of us. 
Verse 15. How are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See in verse 14, every time Paul says they, he's referring to the lost. People that, that don't know Jesus, people who need salvation. That's what he's referring When he says they in verse 14, he's talking to lost people. But here in verse 15, when he says they, he's talking to believers. Disciples of Jesus, Christians. So we could personalize this verse a little bit. Verse 15. How are we to preach unless we have been sent? See, to preach means to proclaim a message or a truth on someone else's behalf. Kind of like a herald. Right? Like, like, in other words, you cannot preach unless someone has given you a message to preach. And you can't go to preach that message unless someone has sent you to go and preach that message. So all this boils down, what Paul is really trying to hint at here is, is there's another question that we should be asking. Am I sent? Have I been sent? Have you been sent? But just like every other question that Paul has asked, this one has an obvious answer as well. How are we to preach unless we are sent? Well, we can't preach if we aren't sent. But we have been sent. We have. Turn to John chapter 20 for me. See, in John chapter 20, um, in verse 21, Jesus is speaking to his disciples uh, in the upper room after he is resurrected from the dead. And so it's kind of a funny story. Verse 19, we find that they are in the upper room and the door is locked and they're hiding because um, of fear of the Jews, right? Like they're afraid that what happened to their savior is going to happen to them, that they're going to get killed. And so it makes special note in verse 19 that they're hiding because they're afraid to die and they've locked the doors. It's important, right? And, and then Jesus just shows up in the room. Right, which I just think is awesome. Locked door, whatever, I'm here, what's up? Right, and, and he says, peace be with you. And I, I think that it's probably smart that he said, peace be with you, because when somebody just shows up in a locked room, like that's a little freaky, right? And so peace be with you, right? And then he shows him his scars, and then in verse 21, he says, um, peace be with you again. <laughs> As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Here's the thing, the reality, the answer to that question, have I been sent, is yes. Yes, you have. As a disciple and as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been sent. Because Jesus may have been talking directly to the original disciples in the upper room, but the statement still stands for you and for me as followers of Jesus. And in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, Paul has assumed that we have been sent. He knew What Jesus said in the upper room, he knew that he had sent his disciples out into the world to proclaim the gospel just as he had been sent into the world by his father. Hence Paul's sarcastic and rhetorical statements. He knows, he assumes we have been sent. See, the bottom line is that Jesus himself has sent you and he has sent me just as the father sent him. And so here's the next set of questions for me here. How did the father send Jesus? What did that look like? When the Father sent the Son into the world, what did that look like? Well, well, a lot, it looked like a lot of things, but, but the first one I want to bring up is Jesus was sent from light into darkness. Jesus lived in perfect harmony with the Father in heaven, right? Like, like he, he was sent by the Father into the brokenness of the world, out of the perfectionness of heaven. He was sent into the brokenness of the world, ravaged by sin with the sole intent of reconciling it back to the Father. 
So if we're going to be sent into the world just as the Father sent the Son, it means that we are being sent in the same way. It means that we are being sent from where we are now to somewhere darker. This means that we are to be the light in the darkness. This means that we are going to have to go out with a message that will bring life and light to a sinful people who live in dark places. And that should challenge you and me, right? Right, like that should make you uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. I can tell you personally, just, just where I live, I live in the area that I'm trying to reach and I, my neighbors had SWAT called on them. I mean, I, I've had to, to relay with the police officers because, sorry, because of, of you know, just one time my drunk neighbor came to our house and she wasn't wearing pants and that was really awkward. But, but I mean, that's where we were called. This is the people we've been called to. And that is not, I mean, look, I'm wearing a sweater with a collared shirt under it. That's not my wheelhouse. From the light into the darkness, into a very uncomfortable place. So this should make us uncomfortable. Being intentional about sharing our faith is going to make us have to commit ourselves to go and to live on mission. Jesus did not accidentally come to this planet. It was not convenient. You know this, right? It was far from being convenient for him. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8 say that we should have this mind among ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is not convenient, especially when you're coming from heaven. So if we are to be sent like Jesus, then we're going to have to commit ourselves to the gospel cause even when it is inconvenient for us which, as I've said, is, is not always our strong point commitment, right? Not to mention if Jesus himself has sent us, it's probably unwise to hit the ignore button, even if it's inconvenient, right? This is why we, we started out talking about how we have a struggle with commitment. So I'll be, I'll be real with you here, okay? I'm just going to be honest, right? And besides, I get to leave, and Stephen gets to deal with the fallout, right? Um, I understand that the church is a universal thing. I, I understand the priesthood of all believers, which states that every last one of us has, is a messenger carrying forth the mission of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's, I, I get that, I understand that, but I also know that the great commission that you and I have been called to is not something that we do solely as individuals. Like, Remember, Jesus called us a city on a hill, not a lone candle in the dark. We are supposed to do this together. And so I, I, I as a pastor, and I, I do my best to gather the church together, to inspire us together, to light us on fire together. But it can sometimes be challenging. There are times when, when cooler things come up and people don't show up to join in this, this eternal mission. And man, that is that's frustrating. I don't know about Stephen, but it makes me feel like I'm having to compete with the cooler things of the world. And man, that's frustrating. Because we're on mission, right? Like, we're supposed to be assaulting the gates of hell and people don't show up. What is that? It's frustrating. It's frustrating. You know, we, we aren't here to entertain. You know this. We're here to inspire and, and to link arms and to assault the gates of hell. 
And so I'm hoping that this hits home and, and, and I'm hoping that this lights a fire for us to go forward with this gospel message as a united force. See, there's no one else that's going to go. You realize this. No one else is go if we, going if we don't go. We have been sent. You have been sent. It is us that God has called to go out with the gospel message as lights into the darkness for our city, for your workplace, for your school. You. Not Stephen, not me. You. So make no mistake, God alone saves people. But in his infinite wisdom, he has ordained that you and me, that we be the ones to carry out his plan of salvation. It is us that he has commissioned and commanded to go out and share the gospel, which is the power of God to save. So let's go. Let's us do what Matthew 28 says. Let us go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And behold, Jesus will go with us always to the ends of the age. So, so, so listen to me really quickly, all right? Because I have a couple of questions of my own to ask. First of all, if Jesus has sent us and he has told us to go, does that mean that all of us have been asked to be missionaries in the third world countries and, and pastors at churches preaching the gospel. Is that what this means? Right? I see. You guys know. You guys know it's, that's not what it means, right? It, it says when, when Jesus says to go in Matthew 28, where is it he wants us to go? Where? Because a lot of the time when we think of being sent as missionaries, we think that means moving to a foreign country to share the gospel, right? Like out there, wherever out there is. Somewhere. We, we, when we think about missionaries, we think of people like Paul and Barnabas who were given a specific call from God to be set apart for the work to which God had called them. That's Acts 13, 2, if you want to look it up. We think of people like Timothy who was prophesied over and his hands were laid on him and he received a special gift for teaching and pastoral ministry in 1 Timothy 4, 14. We, we think of that. We think of guys like Stephen and, and me whenever we think of missionaries. However, Being sent does not require you to go to a foreign field or become a pastor. You don't even have to have seminary education. See, being sent sometimes means staying exactly where you are and sharing the gospel as you go, because that's what that word go means in Matthew 28, verse 19. It means while you are going, as you are going. So the idea is that Jesus expects us to live our lives as if it's a mission field. And God has placed you where you are in a time such as this as a missionary to the people around you, to your school, your family, your job. That's the Great Commission. See, see this means that, that you and me, we could possibly be more like Oholiab and Bezalel. Has ever heard of those guys? Right? Few of you have, right? Um, um, these guys were just regular dudes. That's probably why you never heard of them. Regular guys whose only claim to fame, the only reason they made it into the good book was that God strategically chose them and gifted them with the ability to build the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony, right? Along with all the other furniture in the tabernacle. There's a ton of it, right? And you can read all about it in in Exodus 31 verses 1 through 11, what they did. See, what this tells me is is that, that God has wired you and I with special giftings. He's placed us exactly where he wants us to be to accomplish his plans. Right? Which means your job is your mission fields. Your co-workers are the people you should be sharing the gospel with. As you are going. As you are going also means you might be like Philip, right? 
In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, you find out Philip gets chosen to be one of seven men that serve in his church. Not as a, you know, as a waiter, right? Like he was literally, he was chosen to be a waiter to feed the orphans and the widows, not as an apostle or as a pastor, which is kind of the point that he wasn't necessarily called to be a pastor. He was just a regular guy. Later on in Acts chapter 8, uh, Philip hears a word from God and God tells him to go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. You see that in 8 verse 26. And, and it says that as he's going, just doing what God told him to do, as he's going, he runs into an Ethiopian man who happens to be reading the scriptures. And God has laid out for him an opportunity um, um, to, 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 to share the gospel with this man. And he does. And get this, they baptize him in a puddle by the side of the road, which I think is cool, right? The point that I'm trying to make here is that Philip was just a guy who committed himself to the call of Christ to preach the gospel. And he considered wherever he was to be his mission field. Here's my point. Here's the point, Romans 10, the point of John 20, verse 21, the point of Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. The point is that you are sent. So go. So I think I'm supposed to invite the band up for a final song. And so I'm going to invite the band up now. And, and, and I want to, to challenge you. Let me challenge you in this way. I want to challenge you to be committed to this. I want to challenge you to be passionate about this. Value this mission over and above all of your personal goals and ambitions. I, I want this commitment to outlive your convenience. Because it is God who has sent you and this, this church where you're at here this morning, this church is the body of believers that God has brought you and joined you to. This is your family. This is the army. This is the city on a hill that is supposed to be sent to the houses that I passed along the way, to beyond that, to your workplaces. This is the body. And we need your light. If we're going to outshine the darkness, we need your light. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And, and, and as you stand, I, I just, in your hearts, if God has called you to something here this morning, if he has asked you to do something here this morning, if he sparked something in your heart this morning, do not ignore that call. I, I want to invite you to talk to your pastor. Man, he's, why he brought me was because he wants you guys to go. Maybe not leave the church, right? but I don't know if that's where God takes you. He, he wants you to go out. It, it's our job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's actually not me. It's not Steve and it's you. And so if God has raised something up in your heart, don't ignore that. Tell your pastor. Fill his inbox. Annoy him with how many meetings he's going to have to have. Because you are the people God has sent. I also don't want to ever neglect the opportunity to invite someone for the first time to give their life over to Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is, and when I say no, I don't mean like no, like you know the statistics of Troy Aikman on your football card. I mean like you have a relationship with him. He's inviting you in. There's a seat at the table for you to join him. Jesus Christ came from heaven as God the Son. He put on flesh. He lived a perfect life. 
And then the most wild thing you can imagine. He died for you and for me. For your sins and mine. Because we can't pay that back. Only he could. Only a perfect life could pay back the sins of all of mankind. And he did it. And it gets better because after he died and paid for our sins, he rose again to new life, eternal life. And he says, listen, I lived that perfect life so it could be credited to your account so that when you die someday, you can go and be with me in heaven. And that is an invitation to every last one of us. If you do not know Jesus, please do not ignore the call that he is putting on your life this morning. To take you from death to life, from darkness to light. So that you might be sent back from light, back into the darkness to share this gospel with us.